Welcome to the Makom Israel Teachers Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners with Israel by discussing and exploring current events and relevant issues. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, and here, as always, with co-host Alan Goldman. How are you, Alan? Doing great, Mike. Today, we are in for some intense political analysis before Tuesday's election. Alan, can you please introduce our special guest? So yeah, we're very, very fortunate to have joined with us today, Chaviv Redingor, who is an Israeli journalist who serves as a senior political analyst for the Times of Israel, who's come in to try and help us understand a little bit more about the political system here um, and, and what's going on as we're headed into the final week of uh, before the elections, which are on Tuesday, um, September 17th, next Tuesday. As we record. Yeah. How are you, Chaviv? I'm good. Can I'm you good. explain to us what a senior political analyst does before we get to the actual fruits of your labor? Sure. Um, a senior political analyst, <laughs> um, what, what that title essentially means is that um, I... I, I, ha- I get to detach myself a little bit from the news cycle. Mm-hmm. I don't have to respond and try and give some background and, and depth to every single, you know, shenanigan, so to speak, uh, in the Israeli electoral cycle, in the in the news cycle. Uh, but I get to try and write uh, larger, broader um, essays and uh, look look into, you know, how we got here, how we got here in terms of the peace process, in terms of Israeli politics, in terms of Netanyahu and who he is and what it all means and how much of the rhetoric we should take seriously, um, uh, sort of a, take broader, deeper snapshots. It's a wonderful uh, position. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're depending on your interest, but for somebody who's a bit of a politics junkie, right, and and, and I don't it, enjoy being uh, sort of having my emotions manipulated minute by minute by clever political campaigns, mm-hmm. and so I get to not have that. And ju- journalism in general, which is which is designed largely to provide the citizens with information so that they can be responsible. Your job is to help citizens sort of take a deeper a step back and take a deeper look at the big picture, which they may lose in the day-to-day flow of events? In theory, um, everyone else speaking to the public has an interest Mm -hmm. that is not necessarily the public's interest. Most Mm -hmm. politicians, I think, feel they're doing what's good for the public, and that happens to be what's good for them. Um, People can convince themselves of that very, very easily. They do it every single day. Um, but and and in theory, my job is to not have an interest except the public's interest, right? It breaks down a little bit when you have to actually act on these questions because, for example, people develop a deep animus for Benjamin Netanyahu for very good reasons. Benjamin Netanyahu is sometimes very problematic, um, and yet Benjamin Netanyahu also leads an Iran policy that lots of Israelis, including Israelis who despise him, mm-hmm. uh, think is has the potential to rescue the country from its greatest existential threat. So what is the public interest when you right. have a man uh, you can both question. hate and feel you need, uh, which is no, which is, we think, we have some poll indications over the years that that's probably double-digit percentages of Netanyahu's voters don't actually like the man. Right. Um, but but your job isn't to present conclusions to citizens. It's to give them food for thought. Your analysis is meant they can make up their own minds, weigh the different things. You're helping people think things through. Yeah, I view my job as, um, I would say, even simpler. Um I don't like also to patronize. I don't like to tell people you're ignorant. Oh, this is a patronizing podcast. Here's all the, here are all the. I'll try not to do it. Okay. I might fail. Yeah, that's um, fair. You know, but <laughs> you're teachers, so you're ignorant, think, and yeah. I'm an analyst. So here's right. here's the information you need to make a decision. What I try and do is is essentially tell everybody they're wrong. 
which is much much mm-hmm. easier. I say, oh, you're a right winger. Here's four things you need to have an answer for. You know, right. two and a half million Palestinians in the West Bank. You you either have an answer to that or you don't have an answer to that. But you kind of owe yourself one if you think annexation is a good thing. You kind of owe us one if you think annexation. Oh, us one. And if you're a left winger, you know, the rivers of blood have have been shed in Israel's streets over these peace processes. Give us an answer to the second intifada. Don't uh, you don't get to not give us an answer if you want another quote-unquote, you know, peace process. We've had 27 years of peace processing, uh, which is, as of last year, more than half the lifespan of the occupation. There's mm-hmm. there's something wrong with the peace process. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get to tell everybody they're wrong. It's a very uh, fun thing to do. It's a sort of cool social function, if that's your social function. Um, and and well, that way I think... Or I would say, like, to challenge them where they are sk- uh, skirting from the, the issue. The, yeah, gad, yeah. the gadfly of the democracy yeah. is stinging them, making sure they're The gadfly responding. of the democracy. It means I... Because, you know, if I try and tell the story, right, of this period of Israel's history, I'm going to fail. There's, mm-hmm. there's things I'm not going to understand. There's perspective I don't have. Uh, so I don't have to tell That'll the story. That'll be the historian's job 100 years from now. Right. And they're going to fail, too. But yeah. they'll fail less than I fail. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but uh, I, get to, I get to be much more sort of uh, biting and, 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 and that it's, it's startling. You know, we were, I wrote one piece, a 4,000-word essay. Um, which is very, very long. Uh, and it went up on the website, and this was in, I think, in the 2014 war, or in some exchange we had with Gaza, some exchange of fire, um, which was about why Hamas, you know, thinks it thinks it's a good thing to drive Gaza into the dust, to grind it into the dust with this endless war against Israel, which, if you look at it as an outsider, you're a Martian, you show up here, you look at Gaza, you look at Israel, you say... You've lost this one, you know, mm-hmm. move on, figure out a new policy, mm-hmm. right, for Gaza. And and I gave Hamas's narrative, right, I'm an Israeli Jew giving Hamas's narrative, but I tried to really present it as a three-dimensional human narrative that makes mm-hmm. sense, that could make sense to humans. And it was shared, you know, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it, was, it went viral in a mm-hmm. way that I could not imagine, a quarter million uh, clicks, something like that, for a 4,000-word essay. Now, does that mean a quarter million people... You know, no, but even opening a long read, words. long reads don't usually but go viral. Opening a long, it it spoke to a real anxiety. People are asking themselves while well, Netanyahu is blustering and you know, and and the, the Hamas people are giving big speeches and Friday sermons, and the left has is complaining about this and the right's complaining about that. People are actually asking real, honest questions. Okay, but let's assume Palestinians are three dimensional human beings who live mm-hmm. their lives as vividly as we live ours. Don't they understand? And when you tackle that question honestly, the honest questions people are asking, um, it resonates. Well, intelligent people want to understand what they disagree with, whether it's a political opponent or an enemy in the case of Hamas. You want to understand. You want to, have you a, want to understand. Yeah. Right. To be an informed citizen means asking those sorts of questions. So since you like to t- think of the big picture and not shenanigans, I want to ask you about shenanigans because I want to be the gadfly to the senior political analyst. <laughs> and I want to know... Why is our daily conversation as Israelis so much about shenanigans? You know, oh, it, it's well. Here's what's strange to me. Before, and I want to get into some of the where we are a week before the election, but I want to know why what we talk about on the bus or at work are oh, is Bibi really serious about annexation, or is this just a trick to trick us? Oh, is Gantz yelling at Bibi for going to a bomb shelter during a rocket raid? Is that him calling Bibi a wimp? Is that how is he trying to? We're all self-aware of political shenanigans to manipulate us. We discuss how we're being manipulated. I Okay, I, I realize I'm an old man, so perhaps I, I, I have this rosy-colored memory. 
I think we used to talk more about policies when we talked about politics and less about pure shenaniganism. So can we just explain what happened? This shenanigan that's really been sure. obsessive, obsessive in the news, Israeli news, which is till today. Even well, today's not this morning. The discussion the paper, is: is it a which shenanigan? Is, which is that on uh, Tuesday night when uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu was in speaking to a crowd in Ashdod, which is on the Israeli coast, um, there was a rocket fired and a rocket alarm went off, and and Bibi was whisked away by his security patrol to go into a a shelter, and the entire political. Uh, establishment from right, from his right. right from his right to his left um, criticized him as looking weak and it's a a blemish on Israeli you know character um, and that has been the well but that's a shenanigan but yeah, also saying, announcing or, the week before yeah, the election the same day annex the yeah, same day huge chunks of the West Bank yeah, into Israel and make exactly. a ring around the Palestinian right so it's these also, are the shenanigans just that shenanigan made it to the New York Times and CNN where's the bomb because it has real policy that, implications yeah. and the other one's just social right. yes. Yeah, so uh, there are two answers. Um, uh, I think neither of which is going to make you happy. Um, the first <laughs> that was not my expectation. <laughs> yeah, happy, the, so you're okay. The first answer uh, is that it works, um, th- and I don't mean it works in the sense that they watched Donald Trump, who ran a f- you know 100% shenanigans all the time campaign and became president. What I and mean, presidency, wh- arguably <laughs> mostly shenanigans. What I mean is that um, there is. A growing body of scholarship and scientific research among social psychologists and in very, very serious, you know, big university departments that has discovered that humans are extraordinarily manipulable, that we have certain mechanisms in our brains uh, evolved through evolution to um, help us associate culturally and socially with our surroundings, uh, and that these mechanisms, once understood, can be triggered, and they can be triggered easily and quickly. Uh, there are mechanisms of tribalism. There are mechanisms of um, of, uh, of fear for the future. Uh, a big part of it is creating a vision. So if someone can imagine victory, they're more likely to pursue victory, and they're more likely to believe they've won in ambiguous circumstances, if they can imagine it ahead of time. So psychologists have identified our buttons and politicians Psychologists have identified... Now, the researchers don't think that they're doing this for political campaigns. They think they're doing this to understand the human animal. Oh, yeah. Uh, But then political campaigns went and learned uh, all of this material. And so now we have a profession, uh, which is quite uh, an evil profession. Uh, and it senior is a profession. Anal- no, just no, no, God forbid. No, God senior forbid. political analyst is, of course, yeah, the yeah, paragon yeah. of justice and truth. <laughs> but... Um, but on the other side of the spectrum of good and evil is um, is the campaign manager. Mm-hmm. And the campaign manager today, there was a really interesting interview after the April election with Ophir Golan, the main campaign manager of Netanyahu's campaign. Now, there used to be a Likud campaign that was about 25 people. And this is, I mean, used to be as 2009, 2013, in those elections, the Likud campaign was this huge operation, just mm-hmm. the... The inner sanctum that made decisions that sat and decided on on the on the you know which ad to run and what the I who, when James who Carville would from the states and, was hired to right well Finkelstein Carville went with the left Finkelstein mm-hmm. went with the right um, and this is this was brought in in the nineties by incidentally Netanyahu mm-hmm. one of the things that Finkelstein brought to Israel to Netanyahu's first campaign in ninety six was this American manipulation. Uh, uh, culture, uh, mm-hmm. a political culture of manipulation. And um, today, five years ago, the Likud campaign was 25 people and it leaked all the time and it had multiple directions and there was a group that was tasked with, you know, bringing the, the ultra-Orthodox vote and bringing this vote and bringing that vote. 
The entire Likud campaign staff that makes the major decision of the campaign today is about four people, and they sit around Netanyahu alone. The other ministers of Likud are uninvolved. They almost haven't been heard, if you notice, in this campaign. Mm-hmm. They don't go to the press. They're mm-hmm. not asked to go to the press. In fact, they're told to shut up because, the, because they'll only go off message. And the campaign, as it's gotten smaller, as it's gotten closer to Netanyahu and more controlled by Netanyahu, has become much, much more vicious. So everyone is treasonous. Everyone is a leftist. Everyone... Now, we know— In Israeli news, they call that the Gewalt campaign, right? The Gewalt campaign is part of the manipulation. What the Gewalt campaign says is, dear right-wingers, if you don't vote for me, the Likud, and you don't get out to vote, um, the left is going to take over and is going to— First of all, he literally, in the April campaign, said that uh, Benny Gantz went to a ceremony mourning the death of Hamas terrorists, which— was a factual inaccuracy, mm-hmm. as you might say, um, which was a lie. A lie. But it was a campaign statement that tried to build this. Give up. This guy, this leftist who who mourns the death. We need a guy who's going to kill the Hamas terrorists, right? So that's the campaign. The campaign is the other side, is, and 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 that's what they call the Gewalt campaign. Oh no, I'm losing. Oh no, I'm losing. Um, but so that's part of the manipulation. Now Benjamin Netanyahu has had the Labor Party to the left of guns in his coalition from that 2009 to 2011. Labor then split because of a leadership challenge to Barack into Labor and Independence. Independence remained in the coalition until 2013. And then in 2013 to 15, uh, Yeshatid not only was in the coalition, had five ministries, including finance, including senior significant ministers. Yair Lapid. Yair Lapid of Yeshatid, who is part of Blue and White now, and Netanyahu says he's a leftist and a traitor. That was the 2013 to 2015. That's only four years ago. And by the way, Hatnu'ah of Tzipi Livni, which is further left, it was also in Netanyahu's coalition. Mm -hmm. We know for a fact, because until four years ago it happened, that Netanyahu will gladly sit with left-wingers in his coalition. He wants to be prime minister. He doesn't because care. he knows they're not treasonous He doesn't Hamas care. Lovers. I'm not sure that if he knew they were treasonous Hamas lovers, and he <laughs> thought that's what keep it. I, I because really that's truly, how coalition politics work. Right. For two, it's right. for two yeah. reasons. One, he genuinely believes that what's important is not a right-wing government. He doesn't care if the government's right-wing, right. even though that's his entire campaign. He, he thinks that Netanyahu mm-hmm. is the good of the country, a Netanyahu government. So that's all he's campaigning for. So these manipulations work. Because they work... We saw on election day in 2015 when he suddenly said the Arabs are running out to vote. They're going in droves to the. They're being bused to the. The last two hours of the campaign had this huge push. There's there's a huge bump in uh, right wing uh, voters in right wing areas, including settlements. Oh, the Arabs are going. Holy crap! You know they're going to take over the country. These are manipulations. They are carefully calculated and targeted, and they work. The reason that they happen is that they work. The other thing, which I think is unique to us. Because at least in the United States, you know, it's all campaigns of manipulation on all sides. Um, but there is a profound policy gap between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump uh, on the questions of health care, on the questions of uh, foreign policy is a little muddled in the United States. But, uh, but on fundamental questions, domestic questions, religion and state, uh, the economy, taxes, I mean, on, on fundamental questions of life, uh, there are huge, huge gaps. So it really matters to policy who wins. In Israel, that's simply not true. Take away all of the politics, literally push aside all of the words uttered by politicians in the last five years in this country. The policies are pretty And look similar. for policy differences, and you discover that there are none. There are gaps in attitude. I will smash Hamas, but if they want to come talk, I'm here. You know, they have my phone number, is the left. I will smash Hamas. And they better come running to talk because otherwise I'm not. You're, you're talking about the, right. the center parties, right? I'm talking about Likud. I'm talking about Blue and White. Right. I'm talking about Labor. Right. Um, 
What about uh, Yamina? I think I'm talking about a large right. part of Yamina. Uh, right. That's the right wing. Yeah, you know, Naftali Bennett used to be the head of the New Right um, before the Yamina, and they. Split I think he still is. Used to be the head yeah. of. Um, I'm sorry, of the Jew, of Jewish Judy. home right. before he split off and formed the New Right, and that got folded into Yamina and the whole Balagan, but the whole business there. But, but when he became the head of Jewish home, he produced a policy document in 2015 that was the party's, um, the party's uh, platform for that election, and that platform was astounding because it called for the annexation of Area C of the West Bank. That is the right. 60% of the West Bank that is under Israeli control, where all the settlements are. And there are only roughly 100,000 Palestinians living in that part of the West Bank. Now, if you annex Area C, it means there is no contiguous viable Palestinian state. It means they have little because tiny these are areas islands. between Exactly. But, um, but what's astounding is not that this is a departure from the Oslo vision of two states, because Jewish Home believes that the settling of the land is the coming of the messianic age, and that is what they are. They are not having a... That is literally their defining oh, policy. What's astounding about his call to annex Area C in 2015? And he got angry letters from rabbis in his party. Did the archangel Gabriel appear to you in a dream and tell you Hebron, is, which is in Area A, is no longer part of the redeemed land of Israel? Or... Jericho or Shechem, right? Nablus in English. Where do you come off annexing only Area C, mm -hmm. right? right? So we start. I suspect uh, secretly that Naftali Bennett is is uh, very much in the center mainstream. The right wing of merits wants peace. We'll go to the, make peace. We'll sit down for peace. But there's no Palestinian interlocutor that will give them genuine two states without a right of return, for example. So I suspect merits is de facto in this mainstream. When you say that the, the, the policy positions aren't different, are you talking specifically in the security realm? Because certainly things like uh, Haredi draft or civil marriage or there are different, you know, even economic issues, you will find policy differences, but you not, won't find them on the security. Here's how unimportant they are. Uh, they don't cross party line. You know, they, they don't, um, they don't Perfect. run along party lines. Hmm. So, for example, uh, the Merits Party has been led on the, which is on the far left, has been led by a man named uh, Yossi Balin, who is one of the most right-wing liberal economists in Israel. He was an absolute privatizer and uh, free market guy, uh, and it's been led by you know downright uh, hardcore socialists. Um, mm -hmm. And Merits doesn't care whether it's you know socialist or capitalist. Right. It cares about the Palestinian issue. Mm. That defines it. We have a, this is another interesting point worth looking into maybe, um, we have a culture in Israel where a lot of these questions that take expertise are not questions for the public debate. One good example is healthcare. We've never had healthcare as a public debate in Israel. Hmm. We've had four major reforms of our healthcare system in the last 30 years, massive, massive reforms. Uh, we have universal healthcare. It's one of the most expensive line items on the state budget, but the reforms were led by experts in the ministries of health and the budgets department and the finance ministry. We believe that these are things that are not judged by the public. The public mm. has no idea how to build a healthcare system. You turn to experts. So we have a very different culture that, than the United States in that regard. I would say that on the question of healthcare, it's been very successful. We have a functioning, we all live three years longer than our American mm. counterparts, for example, mm. even though we have a lower GDP per capita. So these are not questions in elections. The election questions really are the security, land, Palestinian peace, all that put together into one mishmash of a big question mm -hmm. is what defines uh, our politics still. Okay. So, so those, are, those two answers depressed me. One yeah. is that it works. <laughs> it works. Manipulation works. And the second is that? Our parties, 
there, there are no policy differences to argue. Right. Over. There are no policy differences anyway. So, so you got a shenanigan. What, what is Netanyahu going to actually argue? Oh. Now, what Netanyahu is trying to do with this annexation idea is to pretend like there's a difference. Oh. And um, the uh, blue the, and blue and white put out a statement that was fascinating in response. Congratulations, you read our platform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the difference between us and you is that we don't run the day before the election and pretend like we're going to do it. You're not going to do it. You've promised everything you could ever promise before elections. None of it's ever come true. You're a liar, baby. We, over time, carefully, thoughtfully, seriously, will also annex the Jordan Valley, but really. That's Blue and White's response. Uh, trying to deny Netanyahu, right, because Blue, Blue and White's running on. What is Blue and White running on? It's a coalition of people from labor. It's a coalition of people from Bogia Alon's Telem party who are really Likud. It's running on not being Bibi. Let's mm-hmm. get Bibi out of the way. And it had a campaign in April that said, thank you, Bibi. You brought us this far. Well done. Go home. Right? So all the things that disgust us about Bibi, we're going to replace him. But the things we like about him on Iran, on Palestinians, on both being um, strong in the face of Hamas, but also not dragging us into war after war with Hamas. All of those things we're going to do without having to deal with all the disgusting things. With and this campaign struck a chord with the Israeli center because that's the only party that got as many votes. I mean, there were two big over 30 seat parties, Likud and Blue and White. Right. So that message seemed to resonate. Right. We don't have a policy difference, but we hate Bibi is uh, double-digit percentages of the Israeli public. And that's right. what Blue and White is targeting, and it made them as big as Likud, mm-hmm. both, both in polls and in right. reality. And uh, what's projected for this uh, election also. Is the same. Yeah, yeah. They're bouncing, yeah. yeah. Who's, who, is they're, what is it, 30, 31, 32? Mm-hmm. So all we're uh, left with is manipulation, and it's manipulation about the character of BB versus the character of the left and the scaremongering. And that's what the election is about. Uh, which, by the way, is a political and has policy implications. Should there be term limits? Should one person, especially a person facing corruption charges? In other words, it's not just the, that, that issue of do we want BB still here because we finally have a stable status quo? So why would we change horses in midstream is a political approach. The other one is somebody's monopolizing the, the political... Uh, inertia too much is bad ultimately for the country. That's why George Washington resigned after two terms. Term limits are healthy for a democracy, plus all the corruption issues. It's time to pick a new... In other words, that's a reasonable political disagreement, no? Listen, a quarter of the electorate um, is voting for that. So, yes. For each of those. For the, That is a reasonable yeah. <laughs> argument. Both, in both the sense sides that, of that argument. Yes. I'm not the one who's going to say it's not a reasonable argument, but it, it's not a policy. It's... It's a methodology. It's sort of a political uh-huh. methodology uh-huh. argument rather than uh-huh. what should Israel do. There isn't a disagreement from roughly the middle, uh, the center of Jewish home or whatever they're called now, Yamina, right. and the center of Meretz. The right, right wing of Meretz is in on this mainstream. The left wing of Jewish home right. or Yamina is in on this mainstream. I would say 90, 100 out of the current 120 Knesset seats um, have no real profound meaningful policy differences. And so it's an argument about people, which, as you say, can be a very Which is also an argument uh, about system, is what I'm saying, I guess. it's You're right, it's not policy. Yes, But it is the system argu- needs some reform right. because we're seeing a, a, a bug. Right. Well, I, I, think, I, I think it points in some ways um, to that deeper issue of the idea of constitution versus basic laws mm-hmm. and the fact that our, you know, how are we codifying our political system, which is a lot of what a constitution does. Um and that is a, a process that I think Israel's still in. Which isn't how so, it's articulated. I don't know yeah. that most people are thinking that way. I'm just saying that's a 
that's a, uh, 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 how do you say, uh, ramification. That's a, that's a ramification of the BB argument has real, you know, political science ramifications, if not, but you're, I, I take your point that that's not a policy I, I, disagreement. I agree with you. I would yeah. not be surprised at all if the day BB does leave for whatever reason, loses an election, gets indicted, whatever it is, uh, you suddenly see five bills on the, you right. know, on the table, tabled in the Knesset, uh, for term limits. For limits. Yeah. Right. Like happened after FDR. Everyone loved him. Everyone loved him. He kept getting real life. But we need term limits. And they didn't but want they to. Yeah, right. Same. Right. Very similar. Right. Right. Um, is, 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 why, can you explain why the anti-BB shenanigan that Alan referred to of, oh, I can't believe that during a rocket raid he ran to a bomb shelter. Isn't he supposed to run to a bomb shelter? And as the leader of the country, shouldn't he be showing Israelis? Listen, I know... We're all very macho here. We all wear our shirts very open and have a lot of chest hair. But if there's a rocket, be a good example to your kids and go into a shelter. Yeah, it's completely unfair. Um, He actually stood there. The rocket started sounding. And he stood and he said, everybody quietly, quietly, quietly walk out to the bomb shelter very quietly. It took about, I would say, 30 seconds for his own security detail to uh, make the decision to pull him away. And they pulled him away. That's not up to him. Uh, and then as he's standing back there and they get the report uh, from the army, which he get, can get in real time, obviously, uh, that Iron Dome shot down the rocket over Ashdod, he told the security detail, I'm walking back out. And he walked back out and he continued his speech as if nothing had happened. That's so doing his job. He probably handled that perfectly, mm-hmm. um, but it's a political campaign. So well, <laughs> but why, why do his opponents think that will work? Because it does. Because Israel, like, there's some percentage is that an of the Israeli pop- macho some percentage thing that, of oh, the- I can't believe he's a wimp, or is it? A- no, because people have learned to hear political parties um, as people saying something in their interest that might tilt you a little bit. If you agree with it, you agree with it, and thank goodness someone's saying it. And if you disagree with it, okay, it's not going to move you to Likud or to Blue and White. It's not going to move you anywhere. So it's a way of strengthening the feeling among some that Bibi really is a weakling and 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 doesn't have a cost. Among others, now as Likud has well, turned other its than campaign, dumbing down our political discourse, it doesn't have an electoral cost. Right. Uh, the public doesn't care that the discourse is dumbed down right. when it goes to vote, and uh, that's uh, maybe there's another way to put this. Um, it's the public's fault because the politicians are selling mm-hmm. what they think the public will buy, and the dumber they get, the less the the more manipulation becomes available to them, and the less the public punishes them. And so, if the public really is upset that politicians are manipulating openly, ridiculously, the public needs to respond, and the public doesn't respond. Well, you could argue that there is a cost to keeping the... Like, for instance, when Eisenhower was the first television political commercial, and I think his opponent then was Stevenson, at least Stevenson, who said, they said, you got to make a TV commercial. And he said, (laughs) you want Americans to choose their president the way they choose their laundry detergent? TV commercials aren't how you have political discourse. And of course, there was never a president... Stevenson, so all right. politicians started making TV right. commercials. In fairness, it's not. You could go back to Abraham Lincoln's campaigns and discover that in newspapers, Americans also were kind of choosing brands and. Well, but they were reading the text of seven-hour debates for who's taking a Senate seat, like that they they couldn't even vote in. It was, like, I wonder. You wonder that it, if they were. Reading, I want, It was I a more literate look. There were political farmers. Cart- First of all, it was, a, it was a less literate population. And yet, and it new- was there were a lot of cartoons. 
in Correct. the we remember because we study the great texts. Yeah, the Federalist Papers. We're all up it. No, but we also rec- remember Nast inventing the American political cartoon and and its evolution. Okay, I I want I wonder. I I, I don't think you. I could, don't think I the don't, human animal has changed much. I think the speed has changed. I think from, the culture has changed. I don't think human animal changes, but I do think culture has changed and expectations change. And I think the media environment does have effects on culture and expectations. I think I think that's that's partly true. Um, yeah, I mean, everyone is selling something, yeah. and um, there, it, selling has become more clever. Uh, Walmart knows how to sell something better, and political campaigns have learned the same thing. Um, at some point, anthropologists were brought into supermarkets to figure out where to put the milk, and it uh, upped sales in supermarkets of all kinds of foods and junk we don't need. By putting the milk uh, in the back. Putting the milk in the back and laying out certain categories, and this was something done by anthropologists brought in mm-hmm. by major corporations who studied the human animal as it moved through these spaces with these the color schemes and all the different things. This became very, very smart and clever. I think this was the, around the 80s where this became a really serious business uh, and political campaigns as well. So, and, and the media, of course, what's, what's, what's the priority of most political media? What's the priority of CNN? Why did Fox News turn right wing? Did it turn right wing because it genuinely, profoundly and deeply believed that this was a better vision for America? Because if you get enough viewers, then you can sell commercials to make more money. There was a market. Exactly. Nothing else. If somebody will buy cheap junk, you're going to sell cheap. Somebody will sell cheap junk. And that person selling the cheap junk will have a relationship with the people buying the cheap junk. So politicians have responded to that. Is there a way to create a better public? That will force politicians to then sell. Yes, I know exactly how to do that. <laughs> Everyone has to listen to this podcast. <laughs> I think this podcast is the beginning. And read Javier Retigur. Obviously, and click on all the ads, of course. Of yeah. course. Wait, no, wait. <laughs> we, we don't play ad, all those. We don't terms. have ads yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah uh, the, the Times of Israel does. But I'll say it, it's it, a built-in problem. Yeah, it is a built-in, it's a built-in problem. There, and it's, it's not Netanyahu's fault. We no. can fault him for caving to these pressures. But but the pressures are profound. They're really there. It could decide the election. Who manipulates worse? There was actually a monumental moment in Jewish hist- in Israel history this morning on the radio, um, which happened, which was the morning show on Reshit Bet, which is the major news and talk show. I don't know if you were listening. They interviewed first Yair Lapid, who's running you know Blue and White, one of the leaders of Blue and White. Then Netanyahu got on the air at nine thirty, and they cut off with him at about five minutes to ten. And usually at 10 o'clock in Israel, on the major stations, news comes on every hour. They said, we were pushing off the news because Benny Gantz wanted to respond to Netanyahu. And they said, if you want to listen to the news, go to a different station. And they gave Benny Gantz like 15 minutes to on through going right through the news, which doesn't happen. Um, I think in terms of this political discourse... You know, one of the things that they were pointing out and why they were claiming to do this other than, uh, you know, they had this opportunity was that, you know, Israel doesn't have the debate system. We don't have debates between right. different uh, political leaders, face-to-face debates. Um, so they're pushing this. and I, uh, Not a huge that, believer, believer that the state of the American political debate is, yeah, is, I'm not is, either. is helping the no, political discourse. I, I, I don't honestly disagree with <laughs> you there, but the, the, the idea of how do you get yeah. to proper political discourse that you guys were getting at. Um, I, I thought that was like a fascinating that moment. Is, in, that is, that's, uh, that's, um, that's a nice, uh, positive and, and thing. Each, each speaker had a decent amount of time uh, on the national radio to uh, to talk. Of course, BB did his gewalt and right. 
you know, and all I think I think we have a good. Uh, he you know, he revealed, in fact, that Likud is going to lose, according to Likud's latest surveys. Bibi, yeah, Bibi revealed on that. Likud is not going to lose. That's a great way to do it. Likud is not. Yeah, Likud is not going to lose. Yeah. Well, what's no, going to happen is another question. Yeah. That's the way you panic your exactly. voters. There's there's a very interesting way they're all trying to calculate because you know you don't win the election. On election day, right? Uh, election day produces a Knesset, which then goes to negotiate a coalition. The coalition right. negotiating process is how you win in Israel. Alan election. was in America this summer. People kept saying, "Is Bibi going to win again this time?" And <laughs> Alan's like, "He didn't win. Like, right? <laughs> uh, he did not win last time." And what? And and it's absolutely fascinating because if the polls bear out, and polling in this country, even though it's you know slagged off quite a bit, uh, polling in this country is actually quite good. And um, I also think in the United States it's quite good. Mm -hmm. The numbers were almost exactly what the polls mm -hmm. predicted between Clinton and Trump. Uh, but the Some of the interpretation was off. But the, the distribution polls, by yeah. state yeah. was off by 130,000, mm -hmm. and that won Trump, Michigan, yeah. Wisconsin, and, mm -hmm. and Pennsylvania. But, but take those 130,000 and move them 10 miles east of wherever they happen to have been. Hold the vote a day or two and, later, uh, and you might actually have. And right. uh, Exactly. And so, so the polls of actual numbers were good. You just have to take them with a grain of salt because mm -hmm. of the methodology. But... Um, and because the only poll one or two percent makes a difference, sometimes. right? And the only right. poll that matters is the one poll taken as the election, right. and and so those shifts, those small shifts, can be right, right. Um, so if the polls are right, uh, then the person who wins, so-called the the parliamentary election, this who's the larger party uh, on September seventeenth, might actually be in a weaker place, might actually be <laughs> the loser. Uh, of the coalition talks, because it doesn't look, again, every poll in the last month has agreed on this, like Benjamin Netanyahu has 61, a 61-seat 61 majority uh, of right-wing parties. And if he doesn't have a 61-seat majority of right-wing parties, then you have this fascinating process in which he gets his 45 days, roughly 45 days, is a little bit of the president can extend and all this, roughly it reaches 45 days, in which he has to negotiate a coalition, he doesn't have 61 and he will try and desperately bring Gantz of blue and white into mm -hmm. his party. Mm -hmm. He can't have Yeshatid, Yair Lapid's faction inside blue and white, sit with the ultra-Orthodox. Yair Lapid won't, and the ultra-Orthodox have already told him they won't. Yeah. So he has to break up blue and white by getting Gantz to bring his 15 seats uh, of Israel-resilient. Blue and white, of course, is a coalition of multiple right. parties. Uh, Gantz will have to split up blue and white and come in to Netanyahu's coalition as a 15 seat. Or... And then Netanyahu has a wonderful majority and he can live forever as a happy Or he primate. could reject the Haredim. Or Gantz has a better option than coming under Netanyahu's wing. Wait for him to fail. Mm -hmm. If Netanyahu reaches day 45, like he did on May 30th, with still without a coalition. He's not calling for Will the 22nd round. Knesset go with him? He couldn't get, he didn't have a majority for a coalition. Will he have a majority for drop, for, right, dumping the Knesset and going again to, to an election? No way. No way. These people would consider it political suicide and I suspect they're it right. And I can tell you now that Likud thinks this is political suicide to have a third election, right? Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? That means Netanyahu fails. Well, if he fails, he can never try again and he's definitely not prime minister. And another MK gets selected by the president to try again. Could be from Likud, could be from Blue and White, it's but almost whatever certainly it is. Guns. It's if, almost if, certainly. Parliamentary tradition is that it would be guns. And he right. could pull Likud over without Netanyahu. But even if it was And he star, could pull Likud over with right. Netanyahu. Oh, with Netanyahu. Oh, okay. You're Netanyahu oh, now. You lost the chance. You didn't get. You're a national unity. Why give up to being number two? Why is give that up? politically survivable? The rotation with guns. Politically survivable is a funny word. Yeah. Four years ago, Netanyahu sat with leftists in his coalition and gave them every ministry of domestic policy. Yeah, he's the magician. Four years ago. He's the magician. He does not care. It's all fiction that he, he doesn't. He knows how to right. make it work. So... We're looking at Likud is not in a race now to defeat Gantz. It's in a race to have the upper hand 
in all mm. of the coalition, where he mm. knows that he, if he had, doesn't have 61, that Gantz just has to sit and wait and promise Israel Beitenu, which would, have, which would give Netanyahu 61, promise Israel Beitenu, you know, defense and foreign and a thousand billion shekels of budgets and everything they could possibly want to make sure they stay and wait with Gantz. And Gantz and, and Lieberman of Israel Beitenu just wait for Netanyahu to fail and swoop in with some kind of a rotation agreement. Um, that's what Netanyahu fears. And that's why the Gewalt, and that's why he doesn't care how big Yamine is, he only cares how big Likud is, and that's why it might actually be smarter for him to run for a larger right-wing block. There are people in Likud complaining to Netanyahu that you're trying to make Likud right. bigger at the expense of the rest of the right, it, it and in the end the that's going to ensure Gantz right. is prime minister. So there's a lot of this kind of chaos math sort of game theory uh, happening, and, and, and that's... Which is ultimately what democratic politics are, right? It's it, what democratic politics That's the way the Game are. of Thrones works in a democracy. Right. In America, what's complicated about American elections is clear. There are all these local races, mm-hmm. and they all come together to a, a federal congress, and it's all very complex. Israel, we have a very simple, the entire country is one constituency. They, they elect the parliament, the parliament picks the prime minister, and that's it. You have a majority in the, in the parliament, you're the executive. It's, a sim- it's as simple as you can get. And so all the game theory complexity comes into the negotiation math of right. the coalitions. And that's where it becomes really complex. Which, ah. if, you, if, you, if you're cynical, is annoying. And if you love politics, then it's like the World Series Exciting. and the <laughs> Super Bowl rolled right. up in one. And we have to give the pundits something to talk about. Yeah. Listen. And, uh, and our podcast a topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, so, I, I'm a supporter of, the, of our system. I think a lot of people worry that our system gives un, you know, it gives too much power, for example, um, if a Vigdor Lieberman, Israel Beiteno, is this oddly liberal, very right-wing on, on sort of Palestinian issue um, party, Russian-speaking party, it gives them tremendous power because everyone's desperate to have them because they're the deciding vote in a coalition for Just anyone. A lot uh, and when it's not Israel Beitenu, it's the ultra-Orthodox. So they've always had this tremendous outsized sort of power in the coalition talks. And a lot of people have criticized our system for that. Um, I think differently. I think that forcing the, ma- the mainstream of Israel to buy off all of our social and political margins over many, many decades has transformed our social and political margins. The ultra-Orthodox today, secretly, if you don't say it to their face, are deeply Zionist and committed mm-hmm. to the Zionist project. They talk in Israeli Hebrew, mm-hmm. which is not true 40 years ago, and is the absolute truth, including of the great Rabbanim who still try and pretend to have a Yiddish accent, but don't. They don't. When they're ordering <laughs> milk, they don't. Um, and, um, and, and it's... The Chal of Israel milk. The Chal of Israel, of course. And the Chal of Israel, they say... Uh, in Israeli Hebrew, yeah. uh, which is half Sephardi, even uh-huh. though they're Ashkenazi. So we, it's, it's actually a coalition system that doesn't get its due. It's actually um, brought together a very, very fractured society. It's usually, people usually say that the nationalist system where everyone votes Shas or Russian or, you know, has actually strengthened the fracturing of our society. But the fact that they have to come together to the coalition table, uh, I think, has, has, has done the opposite, I think. So it, it's a system, I think, has more credit than it's given. We adopted it accidentally. It served the momentary political needs of 1949. Uh, we adopted it from but the... But don't ad- worry, because the Declaration of Independence says we'll have a constitution by, what, October 1948? I think it's... A, 49. 49. Oh. No, 49, 48? I think. 49, I think. I don't right. understand. This is a lot of cynicism I'm hearing here. <laughs> no, I don't get that impression. I think that what you just articulated is is a beautiful I'm not I'm totally not being cynical <laughs> or sarcastic. I think you're right. I think that the things that have evolved make us uh, uh, 
you know, no one wants to see how sausage or laws get made. Right. It's a complicated, messy process. That's what democracy is supposed to be. Right. And this balancing of interests is healthy, ultimately, as frustrating as it is. Right. And that's what makes it a thriving, vibrant democracy. Well, I think I, it's a good topic for a further podcast. A, well, we have a deeper to have, dive. Yeah, yeah, about uh, this really political system. We, and why, you know? I think we're yeah. wrapping up. We didn't even get to yeah. ask if you think uh, annexing the Jordan Valley is a <laughs> yes or no answer. Is it a shenanigan, or will it really happen? It is absolutely, unquestionably a shenanigan. And now the harder question: Are shenanigans, are electoral maneuvers, driving policy? Ask, uh, ask Brexit. Which is uh, right. Ask Brexit. Exactly. Brexit yeah. was led by a lot of people who don't believe in it. Right. as an electoral shenanigan, uh, and is going to happen. So there's a there's a deeper, more dangerous question, uh, but there's no question that if Netanyahu didn't think it was good for him, it wouldn't happen, right. and if he thought it was good for him, it would happen, and it, completely irrelevant whether it's good or not good. So, yeah. Just so the fact that it's a shenanigan doesn't mean that it's not going to have real-world Right, but if we're winding down, I want to just connect to what you just said, um, which I just agree with, To you know, as we say in Hebrew, with every part of my body, um, uh, there was the, f- the first and maybe still greatest political analyst, uh, of course, was Niccolo Machiavelli, <laughs> and uh, uh, who is not Machiavellian. He was quite idealistic, <laughs> mm-hmm. but he was very sharp, and for his sharp insight, he's accused of being Machiavellian. Um, but he once said that uh, there's, a, uh, it, it, there's a republic cannot be uh, quiet. I'm not giving the exact quote. If you find a state which is in repose, which is calm, which is quiet, then we can be sure of one thing. It's not a republic. Mm-hmm. So It's a dictatorship. So exactly. So the noisier, the crazier, the louder, maybe even the more manipulating and, you know, the more, the more sure we are, we are a democracy. The day it ends is a worse day than any of the manipulations we've, we've had to suffer along the way. Well, I can't sum up anything better than that. I hope we can have you back in the future, Chaviv. That was, for me, very helpful, so I'm sure our listeners appreciate your thoughts, insight, and wisdom. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Mike. And thank you, Ben, for engineering us to the end of the episode, which this is. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast. Don't forget to share, subscribe, rate, and review. Join us next time.